Absolute joy and delight it is to be here with you all. Uh, I, uh, um, it's, it's been a, a quite the experience uh, being here the last couple of days. Uh, I had already committed to be here uh, at the church and was looking forward with great anticipation. Then I was speaking in Texas this summer and happened to give a University of Georgia f- um, a football illustration. And uh, didn't know that one of the boosters was in the audience, and he offered me free tickets. He said, pick any game. And I knew I was going to be here already, so uh, I decided to pick the game yesterday when we played the University of Alabama. I'll leave out the Birmingham part, but (laughs) the way Alabama's playing this year, same difference. Uh, uh, Anyways, Um, so, and then my wife, who is a huge Bulldogs fan, uh, that's called the power of discipleship. Uh, she is. Uh, she joined me. My wife Corey is here today, and so uh, to be able to worship with you guys, to be able to be with you all is is wonderful. Uh, and then to be able to see uh, Pastor Billy and his wife's kids, especially his youngest, uh, our church uh, was really praying for his uh, his youngest child, and to see him healthy and full of life and rambunctious uh, really did bring joy uh, to my heart and life. Well, I didn't know he was going to introduce me that way. Uh, one of the things I really just p- place a premium on uh, when I go and speak various places, a couple of things. Number one, I always ask the pastor, I asked Pastor Billy this today, how long do you normally speak? Uh, I won't give you a time because I don't want you to say uh, he was off by a lot. Um, <laughs> and so I always try to preach less than the host pastor. Uh, so we're, we're going we're to try to give that. Uh, to you today. Uh, And then the second thing is, I always try to sit in worship service and just kind of listen to what's happening. And my sister uh, read a passage of scripture and prayed a beautiful prayer uh, about unity. And uh, I sense the Lord calling an audible. So production people, what you have is not what I'm going to preach on today. Uh, So enjoy the time off. Go get you some Domino's pizza across the way or something like that. Um, so unity, unity is a wonderful prayer, but it's sort of like what uh, that great theologian Mike Tyson said a few years back. Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And uh, unity is great to talk about until you actually sit down and actually try to do it. Until you actually try to do it. I want to draw your attention to a passage of Scripture that um, Paul, that great reconciler, um, is just unflinching on. It's Ephesians chapter 2. It's a great text on unity and a particular kind of unity that I'll, I'll get into. Pick me up in verse 1, Ephesians chapter 2. I'm reading out of the ESV as the production people are scrambling back there trying to find it. Paul writes, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, In fact, if I was preaching this text in the mid-90s, I'd call this naughty by nature. Does that work here? Not sure if that works. Like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. 
by grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved. Through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. He's originally writing a language called Greek. Greek word for workmanship, poema, from which we get the English word poem. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are his work of art. Your mom and daddy may not have planned on you being here. And one of the ways you know that is if your closest sibling is a decade older than you, you was a surprise. But in the economy of God, there are no surprises. There's workmanship created on purpose and for a purpose. I pray Ephesians 2.10 just about every day for our three sons. Two most powerful days in a person's life is the day they were born and the day they figure out why they were born. For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, the words of Scripture are inspired but the chapter and verse divisions are not. Sometimes I think even little editorial things like the break between verses 10 and 11 in some of our Bibles, there's maybe an editor came along and, and to help us, to focus us thematically, kind of inserted some words. Some of your Bibles may have that between verses 10 and 11. I wish they wouldn't do that because they break up Paul's flow of thought. Verse 11 begins with the word therefore. You don't need to spend a day in seminary to figure this out. Therefore simply means what I'm about to say is connected to what I've just said. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both, sister, your prayer inspired me, both one. Make note of this phrase, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Christians don't need to fight for unity. We just need to walk in what Christ has already accomplished by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself, make note of this phrase, one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one by through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, God, would you speak to us? May it be said of this church that they are living out exactly what Christ prayed for in John 17. The kind of unity, Lord God, that shocks the world and is an endearing apologetic to the truth and veracity and power of the gospel of Christ. 
I pray that for them. Because Jesus, you, you prayed for us, that by this all people will know that you're my disciples. Not by your ability to argue fine points of theology, not by what you post on social media, not by your preaching, not by the amazing quiet time uh, streak that you're on, but that all people will know that you're my real deal disciples by the love that you have for one another. And I pray, Lord God, and I declare it over this church that it will be a church whose love and commitment to one another transcends any kind of division our world is experiencing. Because what binds us together, the cross of Jesus Christ, is greater than anything that could ever divide us. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Pastor Billy made, uh, made mention of the fact that, uh, um, that my dad for years, um, well, I, I grew up in Atlanta. I, I grew up on the south side. Uh, we started off in College Park. Uh, we lived off of Old National Highway. To tell you how old I am, uh, we were one of the first African Americans there off of Old at, Old National Highway. Then we moved further south um, in a little town called Fairburn. Our claim to fame is that's where Evander Holyfield for years uh, used to live. So Atlanta is near and dear to my heart. Braves are making me nervous right now, um, but they've been making me nervous, gosh, since 1978. But um, so I love Atlanta. Uh, one, thing I, one thing I always do with my dad, I always quote to him a verse, and I think every adult child should be able to quote this to their folks whenever they're around each other. It's Proverbs 13, 22. Whenever I'm with my dad, always quote Proverbs 13, 22 to him. It simply says, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. <laughs> and I always ask my dad, are you a good man? True story, a couple years ago, we were eating at a cheesecake factory not too far from here, and uh, tongue-in-cheek, I quote that to my dad, it's just he and I having lunch, you know, good man leaves inheritance to his children's children, uh, dad, are you a good man? He goes, funny you should mention that, I've actually made some changes to the will. I'm like, whoa, you've got my attention now. And so um, I'm like, do tell me, what changes have you made? And he said, it's interesting. I sat down with my lawyer, and um, my lawyer says to me, Dr. Loritz, I'm so excited to begin this pro um, project of amending your, your will. Uh, I see, Dr. Loritz, that you've got uh, four children. Uh, three of them are biological. One of them are adopted. Before we get started, let me just say two things. Number one, Georgia state law allows for you at any given moment to amend amend or to write out of your will any of your biological kids, but at the same time, you should know that Georgia state law stipulates under no circumstances can you ever write out of your will your adopted child. That child is secure. We come now to the book of Ephesians, and right out the gate, Paul wants you to understand that when we came to the foot of the cross... When God, that great hound of heaven, invaded our lives, we were adopted into the family of God. That is that word Paul used. We were adopted into the family of God. Now, I just got to, I hope this is a safe place. I want to confess kind of my weakness around this word. For so many times, I would see the word adopt or adoption, and I would just kind of subconsciously think second-class citizenship. But oh, this is theologically inaccurate because right on the heels of saying that we were adopted into the family of God, Paul says we were sealed with the precious Holy Spirit. 
The idea of that word sealed, it, on the one hand, culturally speaking, it, it speaking, it means to authenticate. When the Roman emperor put his seal on anything, when you saw that seal, you, you knew that this was, this was authentic. Holy Spirit has put his seal on our lives. We are the realest thing in the culture. But not only that, more importantly, the idea of seal is... When the Roman emperor put his seal on something, oftentimes he would take the insignia on his ring and dip it into hot wax and put it on the document or whatever it was. That thing was a statement of security. To be sealed with the Holy Spirit means that, that we are secure. We didn't work our way into salvation. We can't work our way out of it. We are Secure. Some years ago, my pastor, it's a long story, um, uh, my, my pastor, in fact, he led my wife uh, to the Lord, um, and then I saw my, met my wife a couple weeks later at that church and found out she was a newborn Christian and decided, felt compelled to the Spirit to be a part of her disciple-making process. Um, and um, it was a large church, Southern California, Inglewood, uh, I think we were 13, 14,000 people, and we were just busting at the seams, and so we ended up buying the Forum, where the Lakers used to play, and a um, whole lot to it. Some years later, we turned around and sold it, uh, but right before we sold it, um, Prince asked to do a concert there, and, and my pastor let him do a concert there, and Prince invited my pastor to come to his house in the Hollywood Hills to have dinner, just the two of them. My pastor in his royal purpleness. And I said to my pastor the next day, you got to tell me, what did y'all talk about? He goes, Brian, you won't believe this. The whole night, he just wanted to talk about the Lord. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, yeah, Prince is a Jehovah's Witness. I said, get out of here. I said, the next thing you're going to tell me is he's knocking on doors at God-forsaken hours on Saturday morning in the Hollywood Hills. He goes, he is. My pastor said to Prince, Prince, why are you... I mean, all your fame, all your notoriety, all your money, why at this stage of your life are you seeking the Lord? He goes, man, I, I'm just trying to make it into the 144,000. That's what the religions of this world are based on, works. I can just knock on enough doors. If I can just be a good person. It's not Christianity. We didn't work our way in. We can't work our way out. It's good news. It is this good news of the gospel that Paul is concerned with when we come to Ephesians chapter 2. But Paul understands before we can get to the good news of the gospel, we have to deal with the bad news of our sin. Paul understands we will never fully appreciate the beauty of the gospel and what Christ has done in our hearts and in our lives unless we, we take a glance at the rearview mirror and catch a whiff of what God saved us from. Again, it's fell in love with my wife it's back in 1998. The problem was I was finishing up a seminary, Pastor Billy, and I was Poe. I wasn't poor, I was poor. I couldn't afford the other O and the R. Like I was, 
Poe. And um, I was looking for a jeweler who, um, among other things, would do layaway. I know I just lost you Gen Z people. Google it. Um, and, um, and whenever I would walk into a, a jeweler, I would kind of always give them the specs of what I was looking for in this diamond. And I noticed that, that no matter what jeweler uh, I was talking to, when I gave them the specs, they would, they would get the diamonds, and none of them would ever take the diamonds and just put them on the counter. You know how this works. They would always roll out a black piece of velvet cloth. They'd put the diamonds on the black piece of velvet cloth. You know why they did that. It's against the contrast of that black piece of velvet cloth that the brilliance of the diamond shone. What is Paul doing in Ephesians 2? He's talking about the gospel. But what does he do right out the gate? He rolls out the black piece of velvet cloth of our sin. So that the brilliance and the radiance of what Christ has done for us. And he says, I want you to understand, we were, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were, we were by nature children of wrath. And some of you may be here right now and you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ. You go, what do you mean? Are you saying God's mad at me? I thought God loved me. But now you're saying he's mad at me. How can love and anger be in one person? And my response would be, you must not have kids. Because can't nobody tick you off like those precious little tax write-offs. <laughs> In fact, any therapist will tell you that if you really want to know what a person loves, see what they get angry over. Anger's not the problem. Indifference is. God loves us so much that our acts of sinful rebellion bothers him. Then verse 4, but God. Boy, if I was in a chocolate church, cue the Hammond B3 organ. <laughs> but God, I love it, not just having mercy, but being rich in mercy. Think about this. God has more mercy than you have mess. God's mercy account will never, ever, ever show insufficient funds. He's rich in mercy. And then twice he says, it is by grace you have been saved. Mercy, grace, what's the difference in mathematical terms? Mercy is subtraction. It's you not getting what you deserve. Grace in mathematical terms is addition. It is you getting what you don't deserve. As one of my pastor friends likes to say, grace simply means you didn't eat your dinner, but you still get dessert. It is God's unmerited favor on our lives. Never get so grown or sophisticated in your faith that you cease to be amazed at God's good grace. His grace is not based on our merits, our efforts. Oftentimes, when our family sits down to play a, to play a game, nowadays, they'll say to me, we're not doing Monopoly. I love Monopoly. Love it a little bit too much. 
Nothing gives me greater joy than to bankrupt my family. I love it. It's a beautiful sight at the end of the game when I've got all the houses, all the hotels, stacks of money, and my kids are broke. Like, that's an accurate depiction of where you are now. I just love Monopoly. But you know what I never do at the end of a game of Monopoly? I never take Monopoly money and say, hold on, i got to run to Bank of America. I don't take Monopoly money and make a deposit into Bank of America. Why? Because while Monopoly money has value within the realm of Monopoly, it carries no value within the realm of this world. So why would I boast about it? Look, I know where I am. I'm an Alpharetta. One of the most desirable parts of the state to live in. It's monopoly money. Where you send your kids and the little bumper stickers we put on the back of our car. And my kid goes to this school and my kid maids honor. Yeah, yeah, be proud of your kids. But in the scheme of things, monopoly money. The fact that maybe you're a member of a country club, monopoly money. Your neighborhood, monopoly money. When you die, fellas, your wife might shed a few tears, but she's going to cash that life insurance check, and she might spend it on the next dude. I'm not saying don't live in a nice house. I'm not saying don't, don't join a country club. I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying hold those things loosely. Put gospel distance between who you are in Christ and the things of this world. We love that stuff. Yes, saved by grace through faith. Yes, I was a sinner. Yes, I was a wretch. Yes. But the problem with so many conservative evangelicals is we preach Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, but never get to verse 11. Caught up in our sins. No hope. A God who's rich in mercy, saved by grace through faith. We are his workmanship, therefore. In light of the vertical reconciliation you have received in God through Christ, therefore. Verse 11 is a profound pivot because he's now turning from vertical reconciliation and connecting it to horizontal reconciliation or how we live this out with other people who don't look like us, think like us, act like us, or vote like us. Let me, let me just read the text. Verse 11, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles, stop right there. You read Paul, and whenever he uses the word Gentiles, he typically uses it in one of two ways. One way he uses it typically is spiritually to talk of people who don't know Christ. So Paul would say later on, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. He's not being racist. He's talking about people who don't know Jesus, that there should be a marked difference between how Christians act and the world acts. 
But he's not using it spiritually. He's using it sociologically, ethnically, or dare I say racially. How do you know that, Brian? Again, you don't need to spend one day in seminary. Just read your Bibles. Therefore, remember that one time you Gentiles, here's the key word, in the flesh. He's not talking about hearts. He's just talking about ethnically different people. Now, let me just pause right here because I know I've just raised the blood pressure in the room. This is not angry black man time. In fact, one of our staff guys, Pastor Billy, said to me, Brian, if you could live at any time in world history, when would it be? I said, as a black man? Now. Well, it's a dumb question. 1753 wasn't good for me. 1853 wasn't good for me. 1953 wasn't good for me. I'm incredibly hopeful. In fact, we just moved to Raleigh a couple years ago. We sold our home in the San Francisco Bay Area. I think we sold it for, what, $2.5 billion? Is that what we sold it for? And we bought a house for $2 in North Carolina. I'm not mad. It, it ain't, it's, it's not that at all. In order to wrap our minds around who Paul's writing to, you just have to understand how Paul rolls. Romans 1.16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, not to the Jew only, but to the Jew first and also the Greek. I know we quote this verse evangelistically, as well we should, but we should always also see it as Paul's missiological methodology. In other words, it's, it's Paul's church planting framework. Whenever Paul walks into a city, he always has two questions. Question number one, where's the synagogue? I want to preach Christ to the Jews. So he goes in places like um, um, Athens. He preaches Christ to the Jews there in the synagogue. Or one chapter later in Corinth, it says that he was reasoning with Jews and Gentiles. Or one chapter later in Ephesus, we see him walking to the synagogue. And in these synagogues, he preaches Christ and people come to know Jesus like Sosthenes in Acts chapter 18. But he's not done. Paul, when he's done at the synagogue, says, now where is the agora, the marketplace? Where do the, the Gentiles hang out because I want to preach Christ to them. In Acts 17, they say, go up to Mars Hill, and he preaches Christ to them. In Acts 19, the hall of Tyrannus, Paul, why are you doing all of this? Paul would say, because I have a gospel greed to not just reach a demographic, I want to reach the whole city for Christ. What's motivating Paul ain't MSNBC. It ain't CNN, it ain't Fox News, it ain't Newsmax, and we've got to stop filtering our Bible through our media and politics, instead filter our media and politics through our Bibles. Paul said, if Christ died for the world, I want to reach the world. (laughs) So now he's got a problem. Now some Jews come to know Christ, and now some Gentiles come to know Christ, and these two groups don't like each other. So if Paul were taking a playbook out of American history, what he, what he should have done, right, following American history is start a church on the north side of town for the Gentiles, a church on the south side of town for the Jews, and 
Paul says, no, no, no. I ain't starting two churches. I'm starting one church. And I'm calling you, thank you, sister, for that prayer on unity. I'm calling you to work out horizontally what God in Christ Jesus has already accomplished vertically. Do I think every church should be multi-ethnic? No, I don't. I do think every church should look like its mission field. Dr. Corey Edwards, a Jesus-loving professor of sociology, she would kill me if I don't say it this way, at the Ohio State University. She says the average neighborhood that a church sits in is 10 times more diverse than the church. And the average schools in the community that a church sits in is 20 times more diverse. If people are still coming to church out of relationships, hear me, then sanctuaries reflect dinner tables. How diverse is your dinner table? Do you have a gospel greed to see the gospel advance through everyone? Why, Paul? Last two thoughts. Why, Paul, are you so passionate about this? Because Paul would tell us right around verse 14 that the death of Jesus Christ demolished the dividing wall of hostility. Oh, the dividing wall. This is poignant to first century temple language. If you know anything about the, the Jewish temple, it had four courts. The outermost court is the court of the Gentiles. In fact, I really believe, this is the only place where the Gentiles could worship. I really believe that when Jesus comes into the, the temple to cleanse it in Matthew chapter 21, some of us can remember Jesus was really angry. And he's running people out. Why is he really angry? Part of that, yes, is the commercialization of the household of God. These Jewish leaders were setting up their wares and selling them. But where were they selling them? They were selling them in the court of the Gentiles, the only place where Gentiles could worship the God-fears and proselytes. I believe that Jesus is angry not just at the commercialization, but he's also angry at a subtle, insidious form of racism Hear what he says. My house shall be called a house of prayer. He ain't done for all nations. It's the court of the Gentiles, followed by the court of women, followed by the court of the Israelites, followed by the court of priests. Each one was partitioned off by these dividing walls. In the late 1800s, archaeologists actually found the dividing wall separating the court of the Gentiles from the others. It had written on it words to these effect, proceed no further upon fear of death. Do you know why Paul goes to jail for the last time? He's falsely accused of taking his Gentile friend, Trophimus, to the forbidden part of the temple. And yet in our text... Paul says in so many words that the cross serves as a sledgehammer, demolishing the dividing wall of hostility. 
And the church's mandate is to keep that wall down. The imagery is poignant. Jews and Gentiles can rush in and worship together. I want to exhort you to excel still more. Final thought, why, Paul, do you do this? This is because Christ has died, hear it now, to present in his body one new man. Paul is writing in a language called Greek. Greek is a very um, detailed, nuanced language. Several Greek words for new. One word is neos, N as in Nancy, E-O-S, neos. Uh, neos simply means new as it relates to time. It is the 2023 uh, Chevy Tahoe. It is the latest 777 assembly jet to come off the, the, the line, the jet to come off the assembly line. It is the, um, uh, the latest MacBook Pro or the latest iPhone 15. That's neos, new as it relates to time. Paul doesn't use the word neos. He uses another word, kainos, K-A-I, N as in Nancy, O-S. Kainos means something that is new, not as it relates to time, but something that is new as it relates to kind. Kainos simply means invention. It's something the world has never seen. Neos, 2023 Tahoe, Kainos, Henry Ford's Model T. Neos, the latest MacBook Pro, Kainos, the first computer ever. Neos, the latest 777, a jet to come off the assembly line. Uh, Kainos is the Wright Brothers. Can you imagine going to Kitty Hawk in the early 1900s and you're going to see this thing and you look up in the sky and hear these two kind of, kind of crazy people doing this flying thing. Then you come home and your family's like, tell us about it. You have no words. There's no category. That's the word Paul uses for the coming together of Jews and Gentiles, these two people who hated each other. Did you know it was a first century church that was the only church, the only institution where Jews and Gentiles could have long-lasting, substantive relationships with one another. So when you walked in at the church of Ephesus, your mind was blown. Then you'd go home and your family's like, tell me about your day and tell me about this church thing. You have no category. Here's my concern. I don't think the Church of Jesus Christ is blowing people's minds in America. I think we can drive down the street and go, yeah, of course that's the Fox News Church, and of course that's the CNN Church, and of course that's the MSNBC Church, of course that's the rich church, of course that's the poor church, of course that's the black church, of course that's the white church, of course that's the... And I think when they're writing the books on church history, in America, 2016 to 2022-ish was one of the darkest hours because the walls, the dividing walls, they just came up ideologically. Yeah, that's the mass church. That's the unmasked church. 
Yeah, that's the Biden church. That's the Trump church. Listen, have your convictions. Make up in your mind that my identity is not in my ethnicity. It's not in who I vote for. My identity is in Christ. Well, the Academy Awards guy is here, so I've got to finish up. I love mayonnaise. It's my problem. I've been studying mayonnaise recently. You know, mayonnaise has stuff in there that should not be together. Did you know that? Stuff like oil and water. And I'm curious, how in the world do you get oil and water to hang out in close community? They don't like each other. Well, you chemistry people know how this works. Mayonnaise has something called an emulsifier. An emulsifier is a substance that just brings a whole bunch of things together. In mayonnaise, the emulsifier is egg. That's why you put egg in a whole bunch of stuff. It's, it's an emulsifier. Brings stuff together. In mayonnaise, it's like egg says, come here, oil, hang out with me. Make me your attention. Make me your focus. Come here, water, hang out with me. Make me your attention. Make me your focus. And it's like they wake up one together. It, it, it wasn't like they had this grand plan, just the two of them to come together. They just had something greater of them, greater than them that kept them together. On the cross, Christ became our emulsifier. I don't want you leaving this sermon going, I got to find an ethnically different friend. Yeah, intentionality helps. But I'm telling you, one of the most dangerous things you can ever do is to follow Jesus. Because when he becomes your focus, when he's truly your focus, he's going to take you to places you were taught never to go. You're going to hang out with folks you weren't culturally formed to hang out with. Because Jesus says, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all people unto me. May Christ always be the center of this church's focus and watch him do what he does in drawing people unto himself. Father, I bless you for this church. Thank you for its leadership. Thank you, Lord God, for the great profession that we heard today in that prayer time that we want to walk in what Christ prayed for. We want to walk in unity. And he prayed this, Lord God, right as he was about to die. God, in my years of pastoral ministry, I've talked to a lot of people on their deathbed, and if you really want to know what's on a person's heart, listen to them as they're dying. Dying people don't talk about frivolous stuff. Talk about weighty issues. And what does our Lord and Savior talk about as he is about to die? The unity of his church. So we say, Lord God, in Alpharetta as it is in heaven, in our neighborhoods as it is in heaven, in our schools as it is in heaven, 
in this church as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.